are we doing for time? 11.30. Okay. Got hours. This is great. Okay. I'm going to pray. Pray with me. Pray you light us up, Lord. Pray you light us up with your spirit. Pray you bring illumination by the Holy Spirit. Pray you bring life by the Holy Spirit. We just pray. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Keep us from just giving out and receiving information. Keep us from just ideas and philosophy. Keep us from concepts and bouncing things around and acting clever. We pray, Lord, that your living word would cut into our lives today. Pray it, Lord. Change us. Change us from one degree of glory to another. Holy Spirit, would you fill ourselves? Would you fill myself as I speak, I pray? And would you fill those that are listening to as they listen, Lord, that they might just, I pray in your mercy, give them ears to hear what you're saying to the church. We commit this time to you, Lord. Pray maybe a time of reverence, maybe a time of great joy, great fellowship. Maybe become more like Jesus as a result. Amen. Amen. All right, we're on a series on the Holy Spirit. This is mini-series, three weeks. Those of you that are with us last week, or if you weren't, you may have heard it on the downloads, you'd have realised that last week my whole aim and my whole intention was to demonstrate that it's okay to experience God. And really I was arguing quite forcefully on that because I think that there are different ways of approaching spiritual encounter, spiritual experience, and that some churches would say we don't like that, it's flaky, strange, you know, anything can happen, let's just stick to um, just reading the Bible, um, singing, but unusual experiences, it just gets us a bit, you know, it can go, can easily go off into weird stuff, we don't like it. So I've shown you through the Bible how actually time and time again God encounters people in remarkable ways. And as long as you're rooted in scripture, that's okay. And then you might get other churches that say, well, we're open to that. But we looked at how it's different from saying you're open to the Holy Spirit to saying we want the Holy Spirit. It's a very different dynamic. It can come, it can be packaged almost the same, but you feel it in the air. When there's a hunger for God, when there's a hunger to meet with God, a hunger for more of God, the, that is an utterly different dynamic. That's passion, that's zeal, and, and that is what God is like, who's a consuming fire. And then you get spirit to spirit, you get deep calling to deep, you get things happening. Whereas if you're open, it really speaks of a kind of a more of a, a lukewarm approach, which is just not biblical. Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. The word, the word there can be used negatively. The word we use for lust is the same word. Lust after. What, how do you define lust? It's where you want something to the point that you lose your peace. Lust after spiritual gifts, especially you might prophesy. It's to be a hunger and a longing. Not that our focus becomes spiritual gifts or the Holy Spirit. We looked last week at how the Holy Spirit does two things. He testifies within our spirit. He does lots of things, but two things we want to focus on. He testifies in our spirit that we are children of God, so he gives us an understanding of the Father, and then he points to Jesus Christ. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and it's truly him, you'll know why, because you're more enamoured with the Father and the Son. So it's safe ground. But we're pushing on for this. So that was last week. This week, I want to look at two things that happen when we are baptised with the Holy Spirit and when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Two, two of the key things that the Holy Spirit produces, um, if you like, in our spirit as this happens. And uh, we're going to go from a narrative, we're going to go from Luke chapter 3 and look at Jesus' baptism. 
And I'm going to talk you through this story and show you how it parallels with us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit as well. It's very beautiful, very lovely. So if you have a Bible with you, actually it's going to come up, if you haven't got a Bible with you, it's going to come up here. There it is, wow, amazing. Okay, Luke chapter 3. Let's take it off for a second, just while I give an introduction. Um, We're going to be looking at John the Baptist. Um, Whenever you look at someone like that, with that kind of title, you can get into a religious mode, or John the Baptist. Baptist isn't a religious word. To baptise means to sink, to immerse. And so he's, he, if someone, the verb is a, 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 an immerser, a sinker. I've heard him described actually um, recently in a, in, a, in a preacher's as a plunger. I mean, this is it's John, it's John the sinker, John the immerser, John the plunger. However you want to look at it, they would ju- it was a nickname, if you like. It's almost a nickname. It's that guy, he plunges people. So really we're in an atmosphere of expectation because John has arrived on the scene after 400 years of prophetic silence. There's been no visions, no dreams really worth remarking on. There's been um, just a sense of expectation for the Messiah, but it's all seemed to have gone quiet. And so really what's going to happen now? Suddenly this man arrives on the scene who deliberately comes as an Elijah figure. He's dressed in this, um, he's dressed in this uh, camel uh, skin and he's eating um, wild locusts and honey. Very unusual figure. And yet, he gathers thousands. How can someone that unusual gather thousands? It's the power of God. The power of the Holy Spirit is on him. It's almost like the man is covered in the electric power of God. And people are gathered to him with expectation. And really they're thinking, is this the Messiah? Is he the one? So let's pick up the story, Luke 3 verse 15. Read together. As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I immerse you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. Baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit are two different things, though they can happen at the same time. But they're different things. And with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Okay, I want to just pull out a couple of things. Just this is introduction at this point. John has got thousands gathering around him with expectation, are you the one? John says, do you know what? There is one coming who is so beyond what I am. I am not worthy to undo his shoelaces. It's that kind of a divide. This isn't, there's one coming and he's, he's got the edge on me. Yeah? He's a few steps ahead of me. I am not worthy. If I was to undo his shoelaces, his sandal straps, I would be being presumptuous. If I was to approach him and do something like this, and even maybe the job of a servant or a slave to undo his sandal, to wash his feet, I would be being presumptuous. I would be, I would be assuming far too much to be able to serve him would be way beyond anything I could ever dream. To serve this one, he is mightier than I. He is filled with power. He's going to do something which really will make what I'm doing just look like an image, look like a symbol. It will make it look like a picture. Because really what I'm doing is I'm immersing people in water to demonstrate forgiveness and sins. This guy is going to actually immerse people in the very presence of God. Wow. He's got, he's got something about him which enables him to be able to immerse people in God's presence. This is what Jesus comes to do. Jesus comes to immerse you in the power of God and the presence of God. It's Christianity at its most biblical root. 
So notice that. And then notice this other thing here. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? What is it to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and to be baptized with fire? Are they the same thing? I used to think they were. I don't think they are. Look at them in the following sentence. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here's the, here's the illustration John's using. John, the setting is agricultural. And so, John is saying this, Jesus is coming with a winnowing fork. Now, a winnowing fork is a big, long fork, and what they would do, they would harvest their wheat, and they would take it to the threshing floor. Then they would stick their fork into the wheat, and they would throw it up in the air. Now, the idea is this, is as they throw it up in the air, the, the chaff, which is really just kind of dust, and it's, it's stuff that is, it grows up with the wheat, but it's not, it's not the real stuff, it's lighter, it's, it's worthless. As they throw it up in the air, the wind would take the chaff away, and the wheat would come down. And it was their way of separating that which was worth something with that which wasn't worth anything at all. John is saying this, Jesus comes to divide. His ministry is a dividing ministry. He comes and really his whole action in what he preaches and what he lives and what he does, it separates And you notice it with Jesus, he is highly confrontational. He's never far from controversy because the things he says separates. He's constantly saying, what are you about? So you get it with the rich young ruler. He flies up to Jesus on his knees. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, we know the commands. I've followed them all my life. Okay, give away all of your riches. You see, the guy was a goody. He was a good guy. He was one of those guys, people would have said, this one's going to heaven. He does the commands. He's moral. He's nice. Jesus says, let's get the divide line. Let's get the winnowing fork in. Let's throw you up and see what you're about. You're about your riches. You blow away. He comes to divide. He comes to draw a line. What are you about? Are you about God, or are you about something else? It could be religion. It could be stuff that looks like God. It could just be total immorality. Anything in between. What are you about? Jesus comes to divide. Throws you up in the air. You see, the Bible teaches this. Whatever you worship, you begin to take on the attributes of that. And so if you worship something as God that is not God, by its nature it therefore is worthless as an object of worship. Therefore you become worthless. The Bible actually uses that term to describe those who are idolaters. You become worthless. Why? Because you begin to take on the attributes of what you worship. And so, throw it up in the air, ah, you've blown away in the wind. This is hard to talk. This is not conciliatory stuff. This is John saying, Jesus is coming, some is going to baptise with the Holy Spirit, others are going to be immersed in the fires of judgement. How many categories do we have there? Two. No middle ground. What are you about? What is your heart about? You see, the Bible says that we're all born wrong. We're born with a bent to just go in our own way, to not really wanting to know about God, to not really wanting to worship him, to, but to really be, to be able to do stuff that we can, just, we can just do what we want to do. That's called sin. So naturally, we all come under the chaff category, if you like. But God in his mercy, as he comes and people hear about Jesus, God in his mercy begins to awaken and and convict people and awaken their conscience and show them that there is a better way, show them that there is a God who loves them, show them that there is is a gospel, a message of good news, that their sins can be forgiven. And and God in his mercy draws people to repentance and he makes them into wheat. But you see, the message of Christ, it separates what are you about. Are you responding to this gospel message or are you actually not? Are you just appearing to respond? It throws you up. So this one is coming, he's mighty and he's radical. He's mighty and he's radical. 
So just use this as a background so you understand who is coming. This is what Jesus is like. Now verse 21. Here we go. When all the people were baptised, and when Jesus also had been baptised and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I wonder if this was the most remarkable moment for Jesus in his earthly life. I wonder. I mean, just imagine that. You come out of the waters of baptism and you're thinking, wow, this is good. And then a voice from heaven. You are my son. I am well pleased. I mean, it's just what affirmation. You have a Trinitarian moment here. You have the son coming out of the water. You have the spirit coming like a dove. You have the father speaking. It's just beautiful. This is, uh, it's just everything about it is good. I want to look at two things that happened here and then parallel them to what happens to us when we come to know the Lord. The first thing is what I'll describe as a seal. The Holy Spirit comes as a seal. And you see it here. Now what does that mean? Well, it's an old-fashioned term. We don't use it anymore, do we? Here's what would happen. was A king would write a letter, or someone important would write a letter, and then they would close it, and they would they want to send it by a messenger. So there's no email, is there, those days. And they're thinking, I want to send this, but I don't want anyone reading it, and I want the person who receives it to know it really came from me. So they'd fold it up, and then they would have their personal seal. So, and it would be like they'd, get, they'd melt the wax, dip their seal in it, and, then, and close the letter with this seal. And it would have something on the seal that would mark out, this is who it's from. So the person who received it, when they received it, they could see it had been unopened. So the seal had made it secure. Not only that, they would look at the seal, and the seal would authenticate it. Okay? So security and authentication. Then the person would open it, and they would know, this really has come from this person, and it's not been tampered with. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes as a seal. We see it here in Jesus' ministry. It's a stamp. It's God saying, yes, you are mine. It's like if you want a pair of Timberland boots and you go to the market, you, you look for the thing the, by the ankle, yeah? Because if you want Timberland, you check it. You say, is it say Timberland? Is it, you know what I mean? Is it a fake? You know, what, what, oh no, it's the real, it's the thing, it's the authentication. If you're particularly into tags and stuff, you'll know about all this. I remember when I was young, I said, Mum, I want a Liverpool football kit, please, Mum. Well, my mum made the mistake of going to a market. And uh, she came back with what I can only describe as a red T-shirt <laughs> with a sewn-on circle saying Liverpool. And uh, I remember opening it thinking, this clearly is not a Liverpool football top. This is a red T-shirt with a round badge on it saying Liverpool. And I said, Mum, it's not right. She said, what do you mean it's not right? It's red and it says Liverpool. I said, no, you don't understand. This is the, I cannot wear this in public. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, you turn up and everyone's got the proper strip on. And you turn up, jogging out with, your, with this. You can't do that, can you? You know, spare a thought. So, I said, I can't do it. It's clearly, it's not authentic. Yeah? It's inauthentic. It's fake. The Holy Spirit comes to say, bang, you really are God's. You belong to God. It's a seal. Let me explain how, let me, Ephesians 1, let's look at Ephesians 1. Paul says this, In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Bang, you were stamped. You were stamped with the, Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit. Why? Why so? What does it do? He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit comes, it's God saying, I'm going to stamp you as mine, you are mine now. He's a guarantee, he's a down payment, and basically once you have the Holy Spirit, you know God's going to come back for you. 
It's the image of the person who goes to the shop, sees the stereo they want, doesn't have the money, they say, I'll give you a deposit, I'll give you a down payment. The person in the shop says, fine, it then comes off the shelf, it goes behind the counter. Why? There's a guarantee to that exchange of money, there's a guarantee you're going to come back for that stereo. In the same way the Spirit of God is given as again, if, if you know the Holy Spirit, if you have encountered the Holy Spirit, if you are able to d- declare with all your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, if you're able to say, Abba, Father to God, which we'll look at in a minute, I tell you, you are God's. The Bible says no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You can't. You can say the words, but you can't say it and really know it and it be meaningful. You can force a confession from someone at the edge of the sword, as has been done down the centuries. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not it. If you can say, Jesus Christ is Lord, and as you say that, you are delighting in the fact that there is one who is high above all, who rules over all things, who died for you and rose again for you, who has got the name above every name, who you love in your heart. You cannot say those words except by the Holy Spirit. It's the stamp. It's the seal. So God stamps you so that you are to go out and there's to be a mark on you. If you're a Christian, you're a marked man. You're a marked woman. Do you know that? Do you feel that when you go out, that you're marked in some way? You can't just engage in the same conversation sometimes as other people. Why? You've been marked. You see, the conversation goes down a route where the Holy Spirit is beginning to be grieved. You can't just engage. Why? You're a marked man. You're a marked woman. You just, I can't go there now. I have to just withdraw. Why? I'm marked. I'm sealed by the Spirit. I can't just, can't. I can't just, oh, we'll, we'll, it'll be fine. We'll get over it. God forgives. No, I'm a marked person. I'm st- I've been stamped by God. See, where you go, some of you, if those of you here that are Christians, when you go places, sometimes you're concerned that people actually feel a bit nervous around you when you find out you're a Christian and you feel like you've done something wrong. Not necessarily. You're marked. And some, some people just get nervous. They get nervous around that. They get nervous around the fact that they're picking up this is a different thing. That's okay. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're ostracised. If you're ostracised ostracised because you're annoying, you're not blessed. (laughs) But if you're ostracised because you're marked by God, that is a blessing. And you are not to avoid that, run away from that and try and fix that. You walk in it and you thank God. Thank you, this is a privilege. I've been ostracised for the name of Christ. (laughs) Wow. Start when the disciples, they got flogged, didn't they? In Acts, they, and they went on their way rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Oh, there's some people who knew Jesus Christ was Lord. I've been whipped for Jesus. What an honour. You're marked. You're marked. Here we see here, Jesus comes out of the water. Holy, I, don't, I don't understand the terminology. The Holy Spirit came in fo- bodily form like a dove. I don't, I've been trying to bat that around. What is it a dove or like a dove? Like a dove, but bodily form, not like bodily form. I don't understand this. It's divine mystery. But what I do know is this, something happened. Has something happened to you? Has something happened to you? See, at this point, don't say, oh, I'll read my Bible. It's not what I'm asking you. Has something happened to you? Oh, I go to church. No, has something happened to you? Has something been done to you? Are you a marked person? Because if you're born again, something's happened to you. You could have been brought up in church all your life or not so, but when you're born again, when the, and when the Spirit of God comes on you in power, something happens to you and you can never be the same again. 
And sure, you go through seasons where you get discouraged and hard times, but once you've been marked, stamped, sealed by God, you are His. The stamp of authentication is on you. You are secure. Hallelujah. He's coming back for you to take you to Himself. I'll tell you what, he's, God is faithful. If He's put the down payment in, He's going to come back and take you fully to be with Him, isn't He? Absolutely. So that's the first thing. But now the second thing, which is obviously the emphasis of today being Father's Day, and this is beautiful. Oh, help me, Jesus. He comes out. He comes out and God says, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the blessing of the Father. Now, fatherhood for some is a really painful issue. Really painful. Why? Here's why. Either there was absent father, Totally absent, never knew him, saw him every other month or something like this, saw him when he felt like it. Or there was emotional absence, so he was around but spent most of his time in the shed, um, and, you know, or passive. Never spoke the blessing, never called you out, never publicly. This is, see, I love this, it's public. It's public. The father's saying, Here he is! Jesus going, Oh, yeah, you know, just basking. Basking in the public affirmation of the Father. It's beautiful. And so many on this, on an earthly level have never known this. this. You want to know what a father should be like? Look at God. That's your model. He publicly affirms his son. Fathers should do it. Fathers should big up their children in public. Should just boast in them. Because constantly, I tell you, they need it. They need it, they need it, they need it. I told Levi yesterday, you are the best big brother in the world. He went, just a mate. Just a mate. You think, I thought you knew that. No. We need encouragement, don't we? This is the Father's blessing. Or maybe it wasn't absenteeism, maybe it was violence, abuse, maybe it was negative words, maybe it was words that brought death and not life, words that were mocking, words that were disparaging, maybe it was even physical violence. You were the person who, 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 who took the brunt of your father's temper. These, this stuff, the, the difference between people who have received the Father's blessing in a consistent way, the, the difference in the foundation they have to those who haven't received that is, I don't know if you can measure it. God in his grace breaks in and restores, but I'm just, I'm just being honest, it's massive. It is absolutely massive. I mean, we've spotted in our own lives, you know. Just huge. Just, I just, you know, I'm happy to be honest. I remember there was tons where we've been married about five or six years, and we were youth leaders and people in our youth group. <laughs> and these just amazing like homes where the dads were fully involved. They'd be like married six months, and they were like 19, and we were like 25, and and they just had things figured out in their marriage by then, and that we were still clueless on. And we'd look at each other and think, "This is embarrassing." <laughs> these are like 90. <laughs> it's like, and we were really pleased for them, but it's sobering. You think, oh my good, just because we just had no, we just had no idea. I was in the park yesterday. I took Levi Melody to the park, and I saw something exquisite. We were playing football, running around, and I saw there was three women. It looked like two mums and a grandmum, and then a baby and two younger daughters, and one guy. One guy was with them. Now the guy obviously wasn't the father of both of the girls because he was a black guy, and one of the girls was white, one of the guy, one of the girls was mixed race. These two younger girls. But we were there for probably about three quarters of an hour. 
And I don't know if he was their father, but I want to tell you, I saw some amazing fathering. Oh, it was a sight to behold. It was all there. He was fully engaged. He was fun. They, he was taking initiative. He was chasing. He was hugging. And you know what? I'm, and I'm, I'm observing because I love this theme. I think it's such a massive theme that God wants to restore in our lives, the whole father thing. And I'm watching. And I'm, what I'm, saying, I'm not just seeing the girls, the two young girls, receive life. I'm, I'm looking at the other mums as well. right? And I'm seeing they're just... They're, they're almost growing before your eyes. Life is just coming. And very often, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, they would have been the kind of women who would have normally, you would have seen down the street and looked very, very stressed. And very, very at their wit's end. And there was just this. There was this buoyancy. There was this atmosphere of just delight and affection. And the mum started getting affection. You think, this is what the father does. This is what, the fa- this is what fathering does. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me tell you something. When you meet with the Holy Spirit, do you know what he comes to do? He comes to testify in a deep and personal way that you are one of God's children and that the Father loves you. The Father loves you. He, he's passionate about you. It's not religion. This is fatherhood. This is, this is and it, it, to the extent that we, that we cry out, Abba, Father, it's a cry. It's not just, oh, it's not just, oh, Abba, Abba, Father. No, it's a cry. Abba, Father, we cry out. Why? Because suddenly the Spirit of God has come and testifies with our spirit, oh my goodness, you've really been adopted. You've been made one of his. He's put, he's put his stamp on you, his seal on you, he's made you his own, and he's got you. And you know what fathers should do? Fathers should protect. So you suddenly know, I'm going to be safe. Fathers should provide. He's going to provide for my needs, physically, emotionally, socially. He's going to provide all the things that a father should do. Suddenly, the Spirit of God comes and says, yeah, God takes responsibility for you. He takes responsibility for your past. He's going to restore the years of locusts of eaten. He takes responsibility for your present. He's going to walk with you whatever you're going through. He takes responsibility for your future. He's going to be there. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. He'll take you, he'll take you with him to glory. It's the Spirit of God that testifies with our spirit. You are his. And he is the perfect father. And he will never let you down and he will never let you go and he will never speak, um, say or do anything that will deliberately kind of, um, how can I put it, he will hurt you, but he will never harm you. You say, why will he hurt me? I'll tell you why he hurt you. Because there are some, we live with, we live with wounds. Right? We just do. Because we've fallen and because we're in an environment where satanic stuff, arrows are flying, we live with wounds. And some of the wounds have gone unnoticed or they've gone undealt with for years. You come to the Father and he comes to bind up your broken heart. Sometimes that means he touches things going, you go, don't go there. And he says, yeah, we're going to go there. Because what we want to do, we want to scrape off the scab and the fungus we want to pull out the arrow. We want to pull out the arrow and we want to apply some cream, wash it, give it a bit of a washing, apply some cream, get the good stuff in and then let it heal. And you're like, ouch, yeah, ouch. But it's healing. It's healing. I used to be, I used to, I used to hate, anyone talking about inner healing. I thought it was stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Then I got some. And your opinion changes. I did, I used to think, oh, silly stuff, you know, silly psycho nonsense. And um, I did. Because, you know, it's not as if it's jumping off the pages. It's not. 
Then I got some inner healing, so I went back to the Bible. <laughs> I thought, what the heck? I hope this is, you know, I hope this has gone godly. And um, and it's in there. It's in there. I tell you, God isn't about doing patch-up jobs. He comes to testify that he owns you, he loves you, and then he says, let's get to work because I want to make you like Jesus. And that does not involve you stuffing down what you really feel or think and laying over it with some spiritual verses. It means getting to the heart of who you really are and transformation coming at the deepest point where more and more you begin to look like your father. Isn't that what every son wants? My son thinks I'm the toughest, baddest, muscliest guy around. Don't tell him the truth. (laughs) But he does. There is a built-in admiration in the heart of the son for the father. It's built-in. You have to do stuff to remove that. Okay? You don't have to do stuff to... It's there. Levi loves to play my arms because... Very. <laughs> to him, that's a big deal. Yeah? Loves to test his strength on me. Like, pow, give me his best shots. Lo- he loves it. He, lo- he wants to be around. He wants to, you know, talk, wants to talk muscles. Well, he's, 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 and I pretend I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what I'm saying. There's a built-in admiration. Right, and what does someone want anything else? Someone wants to become like his father. When you become born again, and the Spirit of God lives in you. Do you know more than anything else you want to become like Him? <laughs> Don't you? You want to be, and you'll go through whatever it takes because you want to become like Him. And if it brings up some hard stuff that hurts, you think, okay, I don't really want to go there, but I want to become more like you, so let's do it. And we'll hold my hand as we go through it. It's the Father's love. This is the Father's love. And I want to just, I want to just, if I can communicate anything of the Father's love, I wish sometimes I was 20 years older and a lot more mature so I could father you a lot more. I really do. But I'm not. I'm 35 and, you know, but I tell you, I feel like God is, God is doing a work in me which has given me a father's heart. Well, I tell you, if I can just communicate the love of the father to you. Why, if he doesn't love you, why would he have given Jesus to go through that? Oh, he loves you. Oh, he's for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's for you. That voice of accusation, that's not him. That's not him. Some of you are living under that. Oh, yeah, you live under this deal. God's always telling me off. God does correct. God does rebuke. But when he does, it's crystal clear and it's so that we can repent and get back on track. That accusation, constant, heavy, complex nonsense is demonic most of the time. What's Satan called? The accuser of the brothers. Constantly. It's not your father. It's not your father. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. It comes to bring joy. It comes to give us so we can live with light hearts. The last thing this world needs is grumpy Christians. <laughs> the last thing this world needs is insecure Christians who don't think God loves them. I think it's going to affect our gospel witness. Do you? I, mean, I don't know. Is it just me? Or is that going to affect our gospel? Come and, come and be like me. I'm really messed up. <laughs> I don't know. You know. I'm not sure it's going to sell too well. Come to my church because um, you can become like really complicated. I don't want that. What do people want? They want simplicity. So many Christians I speak to these days, let me tell you something. And I think this is a manifestation of a lack of uh, 
knowing God as a father a lot of time, it's this complicated, over-analytical, self-crazy stuff. I speak to so many Christians, especially young Christians today, who are caught up in a bizarre world in there, where they're constantly struggling to just relate, connect in a simple way. Do you know it's God's plan for you to live simply? It's God's plan for you to just be able to relate and connect with people, not constantly questioning whether they like you or not, not constantly questioning this, that and the other. That is stuff that the Lord, by his mercy, wants to wash away and replace with peace. You want that? That's gospel peace. That's the kind of peace that God the Father wants to bring. I'm going to finish with one verse. And it's the most beautiful Father, Holy Spirit verse I think is in the Bible. Luke 11, 13. It's it's not on the PowerPoint, but listen to this. I just love this stuff. It's a wonderful gospel reasoning. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, here we go, I love this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Alright, dads, any dads in the room? Any dads? We've got, we've got Dean, we've got Hazel, we've got Pete. Alright, so guys, they want a fish finger, right? Let's take it, let's go modern with this. Are you going to go down to that reptile shop in Camden? Buy them a poisonous serpent, stick it in the oven, and dish it up. Good, we're doing well so far. Alright, if he asks for an egg, he wants a fried egg, will you give him a scorpion? Okay, so they want a fried egg. Scorpion? No. You guys are serious. But now listen to what Jesus says. If you then who are... You're evil. You're You're evil. You're evil. I'm evil. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. See? See, you've got to understand, the goodness of God is way beyond anything you've ever come to terms with. You're evil, and you know how to bless your kids. Some of you here, aunties and uncles, you're evil, and you know how to come, I've got a gift, they're going to love this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more? I tell you, will God give you the Holy Spirit? Oh my goodness, to suggest for a moment that he wouldn't, what are you suggesting? That he is not good. You're insulting his character, you're insulting his generosity, you're insulting his goodness, you're bringing him down to be worse than you. Because you being evil now to give, give good gifts, but you're questioning whether he will do that, you're making him worse than you. It's blasphemous. It's completely blasphemous. It's terrible. You are, you are utterly insulting his nature. He longs to pour out his spirit on you time and time and time again. He longs to teach you by the Holy Spirit. He longs to guide you by the Holy Spirit. He longs to give you gifts and see you exercise them in the Holy Spirit. He longs to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. He longs to assure you again and again you're one of his children. He longs to let you know you've been sealed and you're stamped and you belong to him. He is good, amen? You've got a good father. You've got a father who loves you so much he, didn't, he, he gave his best, didn't hold back his one and only son whose body was broken and blood was shed for you. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could be reconciled, restored, adopted, regenerated, made new. And then he gives his spirit, who is the spirit of his son, to come and testify right in your heart, yeah, I've done it in you, I've done it in you, I've done it in you. How on earth could you be afraid 
of experiencing God. How on earth could you question whether God would want to pour out his spirit on you? He is good and he is the spirit of truth. And what we're going to do now, we're going to sing beautiful songs. Songs filled with truth about the love of God, the glory of God. And you know what? As we do that, here's what happens. Don't mistake what's going on. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Who here, ever when they're singing, just feels, whoa, this is, this is great truth. Anyone ever feel that? Yeah. Who's that? Right. And who's doing that? That wasn't a trick question. The answer to that was so obvious. Only five of you said it. Who's doing that? It's the Holy Spirit. Whoever feels when they're singing some of these songs, a wave of gratitude. Anyone? That's the Holy Spirit. Whoever feels like, man, alive, I just, I'm being taken up. This is, wow, isn't he wonderful? That's the Holy Spirit. Whoever feels awe and a sense of holy hush, that's the Holy Spirit. You are constantly encountering the Holy Spirit as you immerse yourself in truth. Because he's the spirit of truth. That's why we use songs that are filled with gospel truth because the Holy Spirit comes in on the back of them and just sheds it abroad in your heart. The Holy Spirit today wants to shed abroad in your heart the love of God to assure you that God loves you. Only he can do that. And I want us, as we sing now, take the bread, take the wine, let's have a Holy Spirit time. Yeah? Because if you have a Holy Spirit time, you end up glorifying Jesus, you end up enjoying the love of the Father, and then the gifts start to flow. And then people start getting built up left, right and centre. Because then you have a prophecy for someone. And what's, who's that? That's the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking to you for someone so you can go and build them up. Yeah? And it's all just like, whoa, what's happening? The temple, the household of God is being built all around us. It's glorious. Amen? Amen. If it's not just me that's excited. Alright, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for images of fatherhood that we see on the earth that thrill our hearts and make us think that's beautiful. But it's just a shadow, just an image, just a picture, Lord, of the wonder of all that you are to us as a father. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray for those, Lord God, who have not even known a great relationship with their father, Lord God. Much like um, myself, Lord, where there's been either absence or violence or whatever, anything that's not been as it should be. I want to pray you would come and reveal your perfection as a father into their heart. I want to pray you would pour out the spirit on them so they would know the security of belonging to God. I want to pray, Lord, that you would just come by your spirit and do amazing things in our hearts as we love you, praise you and worship you to the glory of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's stand.